time to connect with Lacey Nelson. I'm producer Brandon from the Rob, Anybody, and Don Show. Thank you for tuning in. If you are watching us live on Rad TV, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get involved or if you want to connect with us, go ahead and send us an email at rad at radradio.com at any time during the conversation if you want to weigh in or have any questions for our guests. Uh, before we get started, though, I believe, Lacey, we have some an update about uh, our guests from our first episode, right? We do, and I don't want to forget Kyle back here. Oh, yeah, we can't forget Kyle. about Kyle. <laughs> Oh. Thank you for everything you do back there, Kyle. I appreciate you more than you know. No problem. As I just make a hiccup right here. Oh, my goodness. You okay. Now, now we're good. Okay, here okay. we go. Yep. All right. Well, that's what you're here for, bud. Thanks. Um, okay, so, yeah, we have an announcement. So, last time we uh, let you guys know, Angela, from our first podcast about fentanyl, she was on the show with uh, Mother Laura Didier, whose 17-year-old son, Zach Didier, unfortunately died from fentanyl poisoning, which we learned was different than fentanyl overdose. At any rate, Angela has taken her show on the road so to speak and was on the dr phil show wednesday just a couple days ago it aired on dr phil dr phil and his producers have been posting stuff on their facebook page uh, and angela you looked fantastic you spoke so well and of course i think you're going to be our fentanyl national spokesperson if you ask me so uh just thank you angela for the work you're doing i'm proud of you and um, can't wait to see the full episode this week so man our guest was on dr phil <laughs> so cool. And Angela um, and I came up with the title Deceived to Death. Mm -hmm. And she said it a few times on the show. And I guess Dr. Phil named his episode Deceived to Death. Yeah. It's, so. it's a catchy title, but it also really drives home the severity of, of the, the whole situation. It does. So um, hashtag Dr. Phil, we're waiting for our royalty check. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're on, the, we're on the move, Brandon. I think we're on the move. I think next thing is uh, we're going on tour, right? Uh, we're, yeah, we talked about our tour bus. Mm -hmm. We're going on tour pretty soon, so <laughs> it's coming. Uh, so today, I cannot wait to announce one of the most influential and inspiring people in my life, and probably in the lives of many. I'd like to think that, you know, he's my mentor, but I'm sure he's a lot of people's mentor. So um, Mr. Jim Barnes, the undersheriff yes. for Sac County Sheriff's Office, um, and his beautiful and amazing mm -hmm. wife, Helena, who... Herself, I'll let her tell her story today, but uh, we're talking about a woman in a male-dominated field, which I know a little something about. Um, but one of 32 assistant chiefs and the only woman. So we're going to hear about her climb to that position and how they did it. How many years of marriage? 20. 20, 20 this year. 20 We've been battle-tested, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and he uses that term a lot, battle-tested, for, for their relationship. And um, I think that's probably true in any friendship relationship work relationship if you can be battle tested and survive 20 years mm -hmm. both people rising to the ranks of leadership in different huge agencies i mean california highway patrol you're retired now mm -hmm. uh, that is our state agency and then sheriff's office is the eighth largest in the country yes. and you're number two in my book, you're number one. I appreciate that. <laughs> Checks know. in the mail. My yeah. check will be in the mail for that comment. Okay. Venmo. You guys have my Venmo. Right? Venmo. <laughs> so, you know, uh, just to be sitting in the room of greatness, I, I'm honored and more honored just to know that you're always on my side. And, um, you know, we're here on our own, speaking on our own terms. We're not here representing anybody but ourselves today. Um, but with that being said, I mean, I can't wait to hear the story of how you both got to where you are. I know people are excited about this episode. So, um, how long were you in the CHP? Uh, uh, almost 28 years. Okay. Um, and how so long have you been retired? Almost a year. October okay. 22nd would be a year of my last work. Okay. So 30 years ago, 
you embarked on a law enforcement career, which, you know, thank you for you, because I've been in law enforcement about 15 years. Um, but 30 years ago, I can imagine as a woman, starting with a state agency, going through the academy, were there other women in the academy with you? It's funny, as our class started out with about 147 cadets, okay. and 16 were females. By the time we graduated, there was four. Four females. Four females. And I was the only one in my company. We're divided in two companies. Okay. Um, so I remember, you know, it's a living academy. Okay. So at the time, it was 28 weeks. And so I would go to my room and take breaks. And every time I'd go, there was a different pair of luggage there. I'm like, oh, someone else is gone. Someone else is gone. Amazing. And that was in one day. That, and then it ended up where I never had a roommate. Because I was the only one in, your in my company. So you're just alone. I was. So like G.I. Jane, when she was like <laughs> yeah. alone in her own barracks. Yeah, okay. and you know, I didn't go home for seven weeks. Wow. And we usually had liberty on Wednesdays and liberty on the weekends. So liberty meaning you get to go home for a little I bit. I get to go If home. you're doing well. Right. And I would always be on restriction for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And I could look at it one or two ways. One, they wanted to wash me out. Or two, they were testing me to see if I could... I take it. So you've been battle tested from the start. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if those that are listening, I'm only five feet. Mm -hmm. And at the time that I was in the academy, I was maybe 120 pounds. And so I'm this little itty bitty person, and they want to test me to make sure that I can hold my own because law enforcement is not easy. It's not. It isn't. When you say that you are put on restriction, what does that look like? It means that I don't get to go home that I'm doing some sort of task. So either I'm at the range, I'm cleaning that, I'm cleaning the bathrooms, I'm doing some sort of task to reiterate that, hey, you're, you're, you're in trouble, basically. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. So people don't realize, CHP is a lot different than other agencies. Most agencies have an academy where you go like a job. You go mm -hmm. Monday through Friday, or you go at nights and on the weekends, right. and you have a day job or whatever the case may be, but you go home every day. CHP is much different. It's very military, like militaristic. It's You live there. It's like boot camp, drill camp, so you clean mm -hmm. bathrooms like... I'm yep. thinking full metal jacket, you know, <laughs> like she's cleaning bathrooms and scrubbing floors and we're not going home. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and at the time I had a two-year-old son. No way. Yes. So I went through the academy as a single mother with a two-year-old son and my mindset was a lot different because my son depended on me. And I was like, I don't care. You can yell me all up and down. You can torture me or whatever. I am not going home. I am here to stay, and I because I have a certain mindset mm -hmm. that I have to take care of my little one, and I have went all in on the Highway Patrol. So you're not going to force me out by just yelling at me. Right. And there are others who couldn't take that. Mm -hmm. But I believe that it really does have a lot to do with your mindset and how you show up. The it's, physical portion, how was that for you? Um, physical portion, I've always been an athlete. I've played soccer, I've played professional, semi-professional soccer. I've done all the sports. So the physical aspect of it wasn't that difficult. Good. And academics was not that difficult. I was a straight-A student in high school. Um, and for me, I didn't, my mistake, but it also was a blessing, was that I didn't go to college. Hmm. I don't have a college degree. I graduated high school with honors, 
And I decided not to go to college, and I was married. And then I had my son, and then I was divorced. Mm. And so then I found myself, what am I going to do? I don't want to live a lifestyle of not being able to provide for my son. Right. So I went to school. I went back to school. I was on welfare, a little over $300 a month, uh, WIC, food stamps, and you just do to survive. And then I started researching, because that's what I do the best, is I research the hell out of everything. <laughs> and I decided that, you know, maybe I wanted to be a U.S. Marshal. And being a U.S. Marshal was a four-year degree. And utilizing the system that was in place was that if you're on welfare, they're going to pay your tuition. Mm-hmm. They're going to pay for your books. They paid for my gas. They paid for my child care so that I could go to school. And about two years into it, my next-door neighbors, both were highway patrol. They came over and they said, hey, the highway patrol is hiring. You need to put in. So again, I go back and I research. Okay, what's the stability of the highway patrol versus a local PD or U.S. The Marshal or right. something, yeah. Right. And what I found was that the highway patrol, they don't do layoffs. Ah, uh-huh. Because it's state state and it's not based off of property tax, which is a public safety surcharge that's within property tax that pays for the PD, pays for the sheriff's department. So I said, okay, Highway Patrol, I know that I will have a lifetime career if this is what I invest in. And within six months, I was in the academy. That's just the decision. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a lifetime career. And I like what you just said, if I invest myself in this. Yes. So that's it. You made the choice. Yes. So, I mean, I always say to to young girls and young women, if this is something you want, you just have to go for it. Yes. And, you know, people have asked me, um, what's the difference between being a man or a woman in this field? And I always, my best way to describe it is men are automatically included. When they come into the uniform and they, they hit the field or whatever, they're part of the clique until they do something that maybe removes them from the clique. We are not included until we prove ourselves. Right. We get out there and we we do something that shows, hey, we know what we're doing. We can do this job. And then the guys are like, oh, OK. It was that kind of like the same experience for you 30 years ago. You know, I was reflecting on this when I was driving in. <clears throat> and I realized that from a very early point in the academy that I had this ability to be inclusionary, mm. regardless of my gender. There are some men that didn't want me there. But. I was inclusionary, and I worked hard, I was knowledgeable, I was capable, but women have to perform at a higher level. We do. We do, but you have to take it seriously, and like I said, you have to invest yourself in the process. If you don't, then you're not going to have credibility. That's true. That is true. And it's being part of, you know, I don't want to be a female part of a male group. I want to be your teammate. Yeah. Because ultimately, we're a team. We all have to go through the door at the same time. We all have to have the same capability, but we all have to have trust. Mm. And if you're not part of the team and you haven't invested yourself in the team, then you're not going to have the credibility to perform. On anybody's eyes, male or female. Anybody's, yes. We just got this email in from rad at radradio.com, and I think you already started to touch on a lot of this uh, from Kelly. She says, Mrs. Barnes, as a young woman wanting to enter into law enforcement, should I expect to be treated differently than the guys? And if so, how do I work through that? Um, I wouldn't say have that expectation, but have the mindset 
that you do have to perform. No one is going to lower a standard just because you're a female. The standard is the standard. So if you know what they are, prepare yourself before. Before I went to the academy, I was running. I was doing sit-ups. I was doing the things that I knew that I was going to be tasked to. So you have to go in again with the right mindset that I have to perform. And did you always know as a kid, you know, people ask me all the time, did you always know you wanted to be a cop? And, and I say, when I finally got hired, my mom had kept all those years my Sac County Sheriff Junior Deputy badge that Glenn Craig gave me. And I wrote my name on it as a little kid. And then there's this thing that said, you know, how old are you, five? What's your favorite color? You know, what do you want to be? And it says cop. And so I knew forever that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, I made it happen. Was it the same for you? You know, no. Um, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. <laughs> I'm good at arguing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The yes. husband can attest. <laughs> <laughs> and I win them quite frequently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> also, yes. But, you know, it, it just came by fortune. Good. Okay. And the way that I really look at it, is that my service within the Highway Patrol was really truly an honor because they took a chance on me. Mm. And so when I navigated my career, I had that mindset that it is an honor for me to serve the Highway Patrol and an honor to serve the men and women that worked for me. Mm -hmm. Because when I, and I talked about this at my, my retirement, and there's a poem by Linda Ellis. It's called The Dash. Yes. And I equated this to my time in the patrol. And those that are listening, the dash is about um, between the date that you're born and the date that you die. That's on your headstone. And the dash represents your life. Mm -hmm. And for me, in the high patrol, it was the time I came on to the time that I retired. That dash was my legacy that I left for the high patrol. And the legacy is the imprint that you leave on people within the organization. And I took that very seriously because you talk about your time. 85% mm -hmm. of your time is at work. And your family trust me for you. And so that is a huge responsibility that I took, especially as I started promoting. Mm -hmm. And I took that very seriously. Because you, your family, and you, you entrust me with your safety, with providing the necessary tools to do your job safely, your well-being, your mental wellness, all these things that as a leader, you have to take in consideration. If you are going to lead people, you have to be intentional. And being intentional is a huge responsibility, and it's a lot of work. And I took that very seriously. And you, do you feel the same as your position? Absolutely. I mean, it, for me, as as the number two, when I look at, around in an organization or in any profession, you have to be able to create space. And um, we always, I always, we call it. Our conversations at home are different. I don't know how most married couples are, but we're always talking about leadership challenges. And, and she's brilliant, and why I've gotten to where I have. Um, I think a lot of it, she works some of her leadership issues through me. <laughs> calibrating me. No, but you do. Every every interaction has to be intentional from a leadership standpoint. If someone's going through some personal troubles or coming into the office, you're not sitting behind the desk in full uniform. You try and soften the landscape, sit next to them, and, and just care. It comes down to just caring about yeah. your people. We are serving human beings. And as Helena mentioned, you know, when in the professions that we're talking about, it's a caustic environment, and it takes its toll. Mm -hmm. And we talked about last night, and I 
love for you to talk about it of what you go through in a given day. And not right. a lot of people understand that the calls that you go to. Correct. And then you come home or in our instances, you know, when I, I worked homicide, there were times I was gone for 54 straight hours, but on my way home, I'd get a text. Hey, on your way home, can you stop by the store and pick up this? And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, you, you know, know what I've just been doing for the past 54 hours, but I had to go, okay. And where I made a mistake and I call it a learning moment is because I was gone for so long. We had Gianna was very young and I felt Helena was holding the fort down. And so what would happen is I would be out. She just suffered for two days. Nothing. Not having a kid is suffering, but yeah. you're busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're busy. You're a busy <laughs> you know, mom. For, yeah, yeah, for two days that when I would come home, I would already have a spa day set up for her and nail spots because I wanted to pamper her for that. But during that time, I would take Gianna to the zoo or a movie, and we're selfies and having fun, and I'm sending them to her. She wanted the fun, uh, but I alienated her from the fun. Uh, but I was trying to take care of her. And then when it was brought to my attention, I took it as a negative, like, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. But I didn't understand what I was really doing at the time. So this job can, especially in a, as a married couple in anything, uh, take its toll where you start alienating, unintentionally alienate people for what you feel is a good purpose. And so and I can it, relate. it's tough to navigate. Yeah. I can relate with you on that, you know, because yeah. after a 10-hour shift, you know, and Cherie's learned on Thursdays, which are my Friday, mm -hmm. she pretty much doesn't talk to me for about two hours when I get home. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's quiet time because mm -hmm. all we do is we're talking, talking and more talking, solving everybody's problems. Yeah working through everybody's, you know, stuff. Yeah, and yeah. we get home and it's like, I don't want to answer any questions about my day. You know, I don't want to talk to you about how it was. I, I don't want to solve your problems right now. And so, like you said, it's, you get to this understanding as a couple and for you guys both being in law enforcement, I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> sometimes it's probably yeah. better because they understand yeah. and sometimes probably worse because they understand. Yeah. You no, know. yeah, and if I may real quick, and yeah. the way you're talking, you can go down a slippery slope. And, I, and I'll touch real briefly on this, and, and please interject, was I went to some dark times in homicide, and people close to me know it, and I share that story. And it's not because of pity me, woes me, but learn from me, where I became very despondent. And to the point where, you know, you're sitting on a couch, and you're thinking, how do I shut this movie reel off? And there's only one yeah. thing, and you have a pistol in your hand. And you're thinking, man, is this where I really need to be? And Helena saved my life. She's the one who stepped up one day on my birthday. And, you know, I used, we used to always say, she'd go, what do you want to do for your birthday? I said, let's go to Tahoe. Try not to get arrested. Let's have fun. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Try not to lose yeah, our job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to answer any phone calls. I don't want anything. I just want peace and quiet. And so Helena would do that and take Gianna away. And one day on my birthday, she calls me, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. She goes, what are you doing? I go, nothing. Watching TV. She goes, what are you watching? I go, I don't know. She goes, you showered? I go, nope. She goes, you brush your teeth. I said, why is that important? She goes, it's three o'clock on your birthday. Your wife and daughter want to spend time with you and you'd rather be catatonic on a couch. I'm like, are you done? Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, let me get you some help. And the amount of alarms that went off in my head is she's on to me. She knows. And yep. I was, I was despondent because I yep. was in such a dark place. And because of Helena stepped up and the trust I had in Helena, we did get the help I needed. And that's why you see the signs I have is get your mind right because yes. that, that applies to everything. And yes. coming out of that now, how do you navigate that? Trying to be a law enforcement professional, a leader, having the child, and I felt having a broken husband. And yeah. and how do we climb through that, through those tumultuous times? And the profession has a slippery slope by not including your loved one. And Helena, you brought it up best where you said it last night, I'd rather you talked about what you do. Yeah, and it, it's funny is I had this same discussion with a trainer yesterday. Um, I like to, to lift weights. I want to be strong, and even in retirement. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just Probably a, especially in retirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, just a good mindset as you power through stuff. And so I'm talking to him, and, you know, his, his past is, uh, is a little shattered as well. And, 
And we're talking about this very subject. And you will never be able to connect with your partner if you do not let them in. And law enforcement, we have this tendency that as soon as we're hitting the driveway, this wall goes up and it's like, nope, I can't share any of that stuff with my, my loved one. But your loved one needs to be a part of that world because that's a part of you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sharing it and they don't know that some of the things that you're dealing with, then they can't truly connect. And that connection wanes over time. And then that's where the despondency happens. And so there's a lot of people in law enforcement where they have a stay-at-home wife or partner, or they have someone who's a teacher, or they have a very different you know, profession, and they don't understand that, hey, I signed on my shift, and my first call was doing CPR on a baby that was three months old, and they died of SIDS. Mm-hmm. Two hours later, I go to a traffic collision, and there's a fatality. You scoop someone off the pavement. Then two hours later, you go, oh, I helped the lady across the street. Okay, good one for me today. And then at the end of the day, you have a foot pursuit and a, you know, everything's bad. It's chaos. It's chaos. And we deal with that every day. Every day. And then, you know, like what Jim said is like, hey, can you pick up some milk? (laughs) Sure. And then you go, yeah. And then you get home and you're like, you're having dinner or whatever. How was your day? It was great. No, it was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to share a piece of you, yes. again, to connect to your loved one. And that's where really the trust and the bond happens between partners. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've been throughout our career. We've been able to share that. And I think that's a luxury, but also what you alluded to, yeah. that eh, it could you know, also not be. Mm-hmm. It could be a hindrance. But I think in our case, it really has been a very positive thing because I can understand Mm -hmm. and be self-aware and use self-care. That's really, really important in law enforcement. Yeah, because when you're taking care of him, you also have to take care of you and vice versa. Absolutely. I think that's true in any relationship, but, Mm -hmm. you know, more so when when both are Mm -hmm. in law enforcement, too, because you had your day, too. He had his day, too. It's like, okay, well, I saw this. Well, I saw that. We're not one up each other, but, you know, at the same time, like, we're both here, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Exactly. And that that makes sense, you know? And your vulnerability in Mm. in that, I'll tell you, when I hit one of my worst lows in my career thus far, um, you stepped up for me, Mm. you know? And it was one of the first times we interacted with each other, and I was so frustrated and upset with leadership altogether that I thought, well, here we go again, you know, Mm. another, another guy. You know, right. and the way you stepped up for me shifted my life. I probably wouldn't be here if not for you. Mm. And so just that leadership that you showed, and I'm sure that you did with your people too, it probably goes further than you think, mm. you know, because the guy with the pistol in his hand, mm. you know, doesn't have the pistol in their hand because you stepped up for me. Yeah. So thank you. No, you know, thank you. I um, appreciate that. Your time in homicide. Yeah. You've shared some of that with me. <laughs> um, I mean, People are interested in homicide, you know, look at the first 48 and stuff. And yeah. <laughs> any yeah. cool stories, any, like, what, any the call, I mean, anything happen in, in homicide for you that sticks with you? Oh, I mean, there's so many, you know, you try and shut the movie reel off, but I think just uh, just having the honor of working for a family when they hit the worst, uh, the death notifications, I'll, I, I can never forget, but I try to forget the screams of whales and, you know, people falling on the ground and knowing they've just lost a loved one. 
And um, I, I think we've had some career cases, you know, or some big ones that we've had. You know, we had a unfortunate death of Jessica Funk in Rancho Cordova. Um, that was national news, which puts a lot of pressure on us. You know, you're getting questions and calls from the very top going, where are we CNNs at our front door? And I'm, we don't know yet. We don't know. And having to navigate that. Um, uh, even before I entered a homicide, I'd say my best case I ever did was a Shannon Ritter case. Um, it was a cold case of in September 29th, 1972, to be exact. I'll never forget it. I was not born yet at the time. <laughs> um, but navigating this, knowing that this is a solvable case and, and real honestly, the, the, the investigators back then were on it. They had a bunch of different names, but they're really on it. And they actually identified one person who ended up being uh, responsible for it. Process the scene, went back, contacted people who were still alive, and then being able to identify in a uh, cigarette butt of DNA 35 years later the, the offender. Amazing. And who was now living his best life, remarried in Florida, and, and being able to go knock on that door. And you got him. I got him. <laughs> I got him. Yeah. And the best part was, and I always think I'm a faith-driven man and things work out for a reason. They gave me this case. I was working a different unit in sex assaults. They go, you're part of this cold case unit. And I was like, I'm, I'm good here. And are you doing it? I said, okay, I'm, I'm in. You're volunteering. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, I happened to look for the name of the surviving, what I felt was a surviving sister. And back then, records are different. You know, in 72, it would be Mr. Jim Barnes and Miss Barnes. No first names. That's the way reports are written. And mm-hmm. so I'm looking through all our databases nationwide. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of names so i narrowed it down to northern california and again there's about a thousand names and i was like ah oh, there's one in Folsom on the way home why not i'll drop knock down the door no answer put my card there i'm halfway home i get a phone call hey i, I you know i got your card on my i said well hey i'm detective kind of um you know it's hard for me to explain so i go but i'm looking to a very old case and she goes oh my god my sister shannon so the and one, it, the one, the one that I knocked on the 10, door. Names. Yeah. And I'm on my way home for dinner and I had to call her and I go, I'm not going to be home for dinner. <laughs> and I turn around and she's got all the memorabilia on the table with her husband. And we, we just reminisced, went down memory lane. And a couple of years later, we had not only uh, made the arrest, but the successful conviction as well. Yeah. So I was very proud of the teamwork involved, but um, my mom was alive at the time and she was, I, she would ask me all the time, what's up with that case? And she was all in. And so it was neat to see that, but that was what I call one of my career cases. That's that was incredible. A fun time. That's so yeah, cool. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, oh. just to the start to finish yeah. we, and you know, if you ever thinking about a law enforcement career, there's so many places to go. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're one of the only pr- people to have gone from, you know, every, every rank up yeah. to where you are, Correct. you know, so, um, and how many years now? 25 25 okay so 25 year career every single step you Mm -hmm. could do um deputy sergeant lieutenant he's been from the top to the you know bottom to top so and homicide any other amazing assignments you remember oh i i think well i've got a lot i've had great assignments i think but i always joke about you know if she wouldn't have been in law enforcement we met in jail is what <laughs> that's I say. That's hilarious. That's we met in jail. I was in the booking area, and she was arresting people, and I perked up like, "Who's that?" Oh. I joke with her because she wasn't wearing a name tag, which I felt was a policy violation. Because yeah. I, then I had to do some research to find out who she was. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is because she's such a, I, I think one of the leaders in the industry on people who are under the influence of drugs. She's, I mean, taught nationwide, international, wow. known. And uh, so I asked one of the officers with him, well, who's that? And he goes, oh, that's the hammer. So I thought her last name was Hammer. I can't. <laughs> and, oh, and, that's uh, yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. so what it was, was is really like, is because okay. she was an instructor. And and they go, if you're wrong or you, you try and whiff it or BS it, she'll hammer you. And that's how she got the nickname as Hammer. And then in Stockton. And that was from the in-custodies. <laughs> that was, yeah. And, and, well, down in Stockton, she had the nickname of Medusa. Oh, 
because she, <laughs> she could look into your eyes and know what you're under the influence of. Are you of. serious? Yeah. So when they would <laughs> so go down and do field search, everybody would, don't look in her eyes, it's Medusa. You're like, close your eyes, don't, don't look at her. Look how, at many, her. Uh, how many arrests for, do you Ooh. have like a stat? DUI uh, or? I, it's thousands. Yeah. Um, DUIs. Um, because I ran a field search site too. So part of the training of the drug recognition expert program is they actually have to have hands-on evaluations of people under the influence. Uh. And so I've trained people from England, from Canada to, you know, other states and Guam and you know, just all these other countries. And it's funny because, you know, he always jokes, he's, oh, yeah, we met in jail. That's our story. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not paying attention yeah. to him. I'm I was Medusa. a very young deputy yeah. who was very eager to get to know so who she was. So you're Mr. Medusa. <laughs> Um, was there like a thing that made you get so interested in DUIs? Was there a call, a, a crash or? Um, I would say my prior life, um, mm -hmm. because I was married before I came on the patrol and that was his thing. Mm. And so, and I didn't pay attention. And so going on to the patrol and then seeing the devastation that impaired driving and the impact on the families and notifications that I would do in the field. I'm like, I want to I wanna be a part of this. And my third um, field training officer was actually a DRE. That's what we call him. Drug recognition, Drug recognition expert. expert. Mm -hmm. And so he introduced me. I watched him do this evaluation, and I was amazed. I'm like, I got to do that. I like this. Yes. Yeah. And so I w finished my year of training, probation. I went into the school and was successful. And then the next year, I became an instructor. That's amazing. And I've been an instructor since 1996. Do you still instruct? Even I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. I'm still credentialed yeah. um, up until 23, but now that I'm not a peace officer, I have to research. Yeah. 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 Was, do you have like a call that never left you? Um, I'd say I have one. Well, I have many. Uh, the most significant one was a case of John Griffin. And that was when I was in Gilroy. And it was funny is my beat partner, he's doing, you know, paperwork. And I'm like, hey, let me go sweep your beat. I'll take care of you, you know. So I'm doing it. I'm going down. I'm taking care of calls. And then I'm in stop traffic on 101 in Gilroy. And as a highway patrolman, you don't like to be in stop traffic. No. You know bad things happen. <laughs> and so I, I had this feeling. I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I turned through the center divider, and I was maybe 10 seconds down the road. And the call goes out of a, a crash with no details at the same location that I was at. Wow. And Caltrans was actually doing road work, and that's why it was all backed up. So I turned through the center divider again, and I'm like, whoop, I can't go that way. So I had to go the wrong way to get to the same location. It was a big rig that was hauling a bunch of gravel that literally mowed over eight vehicles. Mm. And it was five fatalities. I was the first one on the scene. And, you know, I'm holding someone's head together, basically. And then you're there for 10, 12 hours because you have to wait for the coroner to come. And you're on scene with people who are deceased. Mm -hmm. And the impact to me was I went back to the area office after, you know, I, I could. And I fielded a phone call. I just answered the call and I didn't. It was after hours. I shouldn't even answer the call. And on the line was, hey, I'm so-and-so. 
my mom and dad were celebrating their anniversary in Monterey. And I think their car was maybe involved in the crash. They had been. Mom and dad had been hit by that big rig. And I knew it. And, I, and doing a notification that way just really impacted me. Because I'm like, they're celebrating 47 years of marriage. And this person who was under the influence of drugs had a long rap sheet of influence under the drugs, was driving an 80,000-pound truck at 70 miles an hour and didn't even stop. And they both died mm-hmm. among three others. Yes. Insane. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we know how that, when we're at work mm-hmm. and we're in that, that zone, that work zone, it's loud. There's stuff going on in your ear. There mm-hmm. are people yelling and screaming. There are people dead. Your supervisors are calling you. The news is showing up. Yeah. There's hours of chaos. And it's like when you get back in the car and you get back to the station and you sit for a minute and you pull your earpiece out and you turn everything off, there's a ringing that happens. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's just a ringing, you know, and mm-hmm. and on your way home in your personal car, you're still hearing the radio, you know, yeah. dispatcher mm-hmm. in your ear. You're still hearing things. It's like that moment after, and now you have to fill the phone call and do another notification. Yeah. And I would say to a lot of law enforcement is your self-talk is very important. And you have to silence the noise. You always say that. But then being able to do that is a skill in itself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who allow the job to consume them, where they're not a good partner, they're not a good wife, they're not a good husband, is they do not silence the noise and be able to take the job for what it is and the challenges, but also the rewards. There's so many rewards in our profession that we fail to even talk about. Mm -hmm. Is the connection with community, the connection with juveniles, the connection with our, our people, you know, because ultimately we're here to serve. And as you rise through leadership, your servitude becomes a different task. And what I talked about before is three tenets of leadership. Very, very easy to walk away with, and I want to give your audience some, some take, takeaways. Is be meaningful, be purposeful, and be intentional. Those are three tenets that are really easy to do. Even if you're a deputy on the road, an officer on the road, a sergeant, a lieutenant, and up you go the ranks. If you follow those three tenets, you will continue to be successful and continue to reap the rewards of the job versus the challenges. Well, those three tenets will work if at home. Yes. It'll work with your kids. It'll work yes. with your parents. Yes. Yeah. Be intentional, be purposeful, be meaningful. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Those will work every time. Yes. See, okay. So as a assistant chief, the only <laughs> woman in assistant chief, you're hearing it from her and silence the noise. You tell me that all the time. All the yes. time. Because I'll have moments of uh, complaining and griping and I send him a text, damn it. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and what do you say? Namaste, silence the noise. Yep. And I'm mm-hmm. like, damn it, Jim. <laughs> I just want to complain with you for a moment, okay? Stop being so smart. <laughs> we just got this email from Patricia in this in this similar vein. Uh, she says, it must be hard psychologically with the amount of violence and verbal abuse officers face. Um, is there some is there counseling, support groups, or anything that the officers can uh, take part in and within uh, the precincts? 
Yes. Um, you know, with the High Patrol, we have peer support. It's a very robust program. Um, and the commissioners have really supported its use. Um, but there are a lot of different um, organizations that are available. And there's this one book, and I'm going to put it out there. And Kevin Gilmartin, Dr. Gilmartin, you can give me a royalty for putting you out there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's uh, emotional survival for law enforcement law enforcement professionals and their families that's the one thing that people forget and their families and you can read this book and give it to your families and they will understand where we're at and why we're at yes um but again i think law enforcement needs to revisit that book as well i agree occasionally to say okay check in with me and know exactly what's going on with me so that i can educate those around me um, but I think it's very, very important, the mental wellness of our officers. And as leaders, we have to um, not only portray that, walk the walk, but we also have to be intuitive enough and listen. That comes with an intention of what's going on with our people. And I agree with you. And probably as a leader, it, it's more important to show the vulnerability mm -hmm. to some of your people because you aren't perfect. And we aren't supposed to be perfect either, you know. And that book, I read it at the start of my career. Um, one of my other mentors, Carlos Ponce, mm -hmm. gave it to me at the academy graduation. It made a little bit of sense. And then I revisited it 10 years later. And I thought, oh, my God, it's like a whole nother meaning. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, I at one point I was reading and just started bawling because there was like, I'm like, is he speaking directly to me right now? You know, this is exactly how I feel, you mm -hmm. know. And um it's kind of like some other books, you know, like the Bible or mm -hmm. The Secret, other books that you read today and in five years from now, it can be completely different. And yeah. so, yeah, and for the families, too, it's important for our families to see that mom, dad, kids. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think with that book, the, the big takeaway for me was, especially when I was going through a lot of my challenges, <clears throat> I think just even in life, five years from now, you're going to look at it through a different lens mm -hmm. because of experiences and, and things that have impacted you. With that, it talks about hypervigilance. And people say, everything goes on its case. I go here, but I come back to the baseline, and that's not true. As high as you go up on threat level orange and seeing what's going on, and then now the scene's done, when you go as high as you went, you go below that yes. same level, mm -hmm. below baseline. And being able to be in tune with yourself to understand that, okay, I see what's going on. I see what's going on now, and being okay and not going, what's wrong with me? What is wrong? And that's where we mm -hmm. tend to, because when I started feeling I was broken, nobody at work knew. I would go to work and I'd be all jovial Jimbo come walking through having a Damn good right. time. And then <laughs> yeah. I'd come home and just be catatonic because I, and that one, at one time on that phone call, I felt she's on to me and Medusa is on to me. I went through a time where I was the only homicide sergeant, every other area uh, teams and agencies had multiple. I was the only one. Um, I've seen over 300 dead bodies. Uh, in one year, we had 58 homicides, 13 officer-involved shootings, and suspicious deaths that I went out on, so my team didn't have to go out because they were burned. My team would go off call. I never went off call. I mean, there were times I literally came home from a call out, showered, really laid down in bed, and my phone would go off, and she would laugh because I'd whimper like a little dog. And be, oh, no, not another <laughs> one, And I'd, but I'd go. And that's all I knew. Um, so when I started telling my story about what happened where I was again, not pity me or woes me, but learn from me, mm -hmm. learn some of those pitfalls that are happening. And then being inclusive with, with your partner, they can be in tune. Now, if you're in a bad relationship and I'm going, Hey, this is happening. And you're going, I'm noticing this about you. I'm already got all this noise and gunfire going off in my head. And now you're telling me something's more wrong with me. 
walls go up. Yeah. And so and how do you navigate? And it's not easy. That's why we, we jokingly say battle tested, but we have yeah. been because mm-hmm. of that. And you look back in your life and go, man, even from a little kid, well, I couldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, but who are you today? And how do you grow from that? And it really took me getting my mind right through the counseling. God bless her for being there for me. Um, and then I got my faith right. Yeah. Uh, I'd never been baptized when our daughter was going through. And once I got that, that was a game changer for me. I realized I stopped living for me and start living for my purpose. And I think the intention as a leader is important because when you talk, how intentional you have to be based off of a crucial conversation where you're hoping to get an intended outcome, it's a lot of work to prep for that. And you'll have people tell you, it's too much work. I said, well, then how's that work out for you? Yeah. yeah. Don't complain about where you're at then. That's right. If you're willing to put the work in, then you're going to rise to the levels in which I know Helena's risen to, you know, and yes. that's what it is. And then having to navigate it too. Yeah. And like I've, you, and like I've told you before in, in some of our discussions over the last year, it doesn't happen to us. It actually happens for us, yes. mm-hmm. you know, yes. and um, I, I always tell my, my people on Facebook and social media, I'm not putting this out there necessarily for you guys to read. It's for me to remind myself because mm-hmm. I might need to hear I need to remind myself of I need to do these things right now. And if I need to hear it, probably someone else does. And that's when I make my posts, you know. This information is so helpful. And I and I just want to thank you both for, for sharing because I have a family member who is freshly uh, CHP. He, he just graduated last year, I believe. Um, I think 2020. I'm not sure, but he's been in the the, the he's been in the department for about a year, and um, the, he's had some issues. Not issues. I don't want to air any dirty laundry or anything, yeah. but <laughs> his family, you know, has had their challenges. So uh, just to to hear your story and hear, see her, hear that you can work through those things mm-hmm. is amazing. And I also wanted to point out that. Um, there's more strength in vulnerability than weakness. And I think that a lot of people equate vulnerability to being weak or being a quote unquote pussy, yeah. but right. rather it, it's something that we all have and we yeah. should go through in order to face those, those uh, issues. Yeah. Well, and you know, as law enforcement, um, there were so many years where we were, we were the hammer. Okay. Yeah. So to speak, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, we just come and we kick ass and take names and we leave, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I've made it a point um, as I get further into my career you know when you're when you're a new cop it's it's fun to do all that stuff but the further i get into it i i realize the more important aspect of is the follow-up and that Mm -hmm. has become more important to me so i can't tell you how many people that i've been with on calls for service that were personal friends now and Mm -hmm. following up with them you know a week later two weeks later a month later we don't go to the scene because somebody's having a good day Mm -hmm. it's probably their worst day and They'll never forget our face. You know, they may forget our name, but 20 years from now, that woman who was raped won't forget the cop and how that cop showed up for them. And so for me, the follow-up becomes more important than the day of. And making friends with those people later, and, and I have quite a few, you know, where we text, you know, how's it going? How's, you know, how's recovery? Do you need me to stop by? You know, just on our days where we're not busy, I just park my car out front. And they just seemingly look out the window and just feel a little better that we're there, you know, and that becomes more important. It has to me, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, I I think as law law enforcement professionals, that is the investment that you have. If you're just showing up to show up, then you're just doing the mechanics of the job. You're not really embracing that it's about servitude. Yeah. And serving our community and their expectations of you as well. Um, the community expects a lot out of us, and that's a lot of pressure and responsibility. But we still have to show up and show up with empathy and show for care for the community 
that makes us better as law enforcement. Is, you know, there bad stuff happening all the time? Yes. Are there evil doers all the time? Yes, they are going to be there. And are there times where we have to arise to that occasion to take someone else's life because you want a preservation of public safety? Yes, absolutely. It's not cotton candy and rainbows. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not I want people to hear the message of. But really, at the end of the day, it's about servitude. Yes. How are we serving and how are we showing up? And how do we last with that impression? You yes. Know? Um, mm-hmm. I gave a sticker to a kid yesterday and his mom's like, well, maybe he'll be your partner someday, you know? And I said, well, um, somebody gave me a sticker once and look where I came, you know, look where I ended Mm -hmm. up. So maybe that kid who lives in a bad apartment complex Mm -hmm. that always sees cops running in, yelling, Mm -hmm. screaming, taking people to jail. You know, I sit on the curb and play iPad with him for Mm -hmm. a minute. That's different. That's a different way of showing up, you know? And, and I always said, if, if I start to get to the point where I'm so jaded that I don't like people anymore, I'm quitting. Yeah. And I still love people. Mm-hmm. You know, the the 90% of crime is committed by 10% of those people. You know, it's not a, a, an exact number, right. but you get it. You yeah. know, the majority of the crime is just the small amount of people who are doing it. But mm-hmm. 90% of the people in my heart are still good. Yeah. You know, and so um, those are the people I show up for. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Some, somebody had said something to Jim that really resonated with me recently. And... I want to say it because I think it's really important. A lot of leaders talk about how do I impact? What's the impact do I have? Where really you should be looking at how do I imprint on people? How do I imprint on the people that work for me, that I work for, and the community? So what you're doing is you're, you're creating an imprint on people that you serve because it's indelible. They're going to remember it at a later date that, hey, this cop took the time to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I'm sure you can attest to it. Uh, you know, I've we take people to jail and mm-hmm. we arrest people. I don't judge you. This mm-hmm. is between you and the big man upstairs. I'm just here to do my job and, and do it well and treat you with fairness and be consistent in what I'm doing. Um, and those same people sometimes that I arrest or have to detain or take to jail, I may see them later and they may be the guy that's like, hey, be careful over here or right. mm-hmm. this is going to go down over there and you've always been fair to me so exactly. i'm looking out for you too they hear the information before we do so why am i going to run around with a heavy hand mm-hmm. and treat these people like crap for yeah. nothing yeah. for nothing when they could be the next guy to save my life and that's and that's happened i mean i have been in situations where i thought either i was going to get killed or have to kill someone this is an actual mm-hmm. call and all of a sudden in the worst complex in our county apartment complex in our county this guy comes out of nowhere and tackles this dude for me. Mm-hmm. I was alone, and um, I thought, you know, he's dying or me. It's about to happen. And this guy came out of nowhere. Turns out the guy was on probation. The guy who helped me mm-hmm. was on probation, helped me detain this guy and get some handcuffs on him. And so I, I made a call to probation on his behalf. And I don't know whatever happened to it, but that same guy, because I was always there and fair to people, he stepped up for me, you mm-hmm. know, and, and for the other guy too, because I, I don't want to be responsible for that either if I don't have to. So. Um, it's just the firm, fair, and consistent and placing that imprint mm-hmm. in people's hearts. Well, yeah. and, and if I'm, I'm going to put a little wordsmith leadership component <laughs> to it because I hear what you're saying, and it's it's in line with the show. It's a connection. You're mm-hmm. building your network. Yeah. You're building your network in the community who will rise and speak. When you're not there, what do they say about Lacey? And it's the same thing as a law enforcement leader when you're navigating the ranks and moving up. What do your team say about you when you're not there? Mm-hmm. And that's how what I call build your unofficial ambassadors. All the investments, imprints you make on people, 
Well, now, whenever you're walking away, you're trying for a promotional exam, are you going to get exposed because now you decide you want to be a leader during a promotional exam? <laughs> or have you been making those positive deposits where they speak on your behalf? And that is where that network and it thrusts you in any profession. But carry that into the community. Same mindset. Yes. It's your networks that's going to save your life, help you get the information you need because come down to what your very show is called. Connect. Connect, yeah. yeah. Or save, save the life of somebody else in a uniform yes. later. Yes. You know, because... How many times, you know, have good cops been told, man, at least there's one good cop out there. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I always try to remind them, well, there's, there's a bunch, just give us a chance. You know, Um, we're not all the same people, just like you're not all the same people. You know, we're not, we're all our own individuals. Um, And it's not just the uniform. You know, if I showed up after work to hang out with you in my basketball shorts, you wouldn't have a clue what I did for work because we'd cut it up and play cards and dominoes just right. like anybody else. Right. You know, so we're not judging. We're not here to judge. And, and you're right. That's how we we make that connection with people. I think it's so important now right. more than ever. Right. You know, and um, it's not to say we don't make mistakes. Jeez, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I met you because I made a mistake. Wow. And I'm grateful for that mistake now yeah. because look at, you know, what it's done. And there's always going to be that those people that um, never – let you move past the mistakes you've made and they always hold that over your head and that's okay those people are fine they're just not my people mm-hmm. you know um because we're not perfect you know and, and everybody i think as a leader having made mistakes before it makes you a better leader yes because you could say look i look i did my right. fair share or i did this or i did that let me help you navigate your mistake yeah. so you can be better you know absolutely you know make it to assistant chief <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well and and full circle the dash the dash your life, what you have contributed, what you've lived, what you've experienced is the dash. Yes. And there is power in legacy in your name. If your name is attached to legacy, it's power. And then it goes back to the imprinting. It's all tied together. It's amazing how it is. Yes. You know, and life is not so much a competition, but more of a journey. Absolutely. You know, and, and, I, and I love that because if I get out of an interview or something and somebody's interviewing for the same thing, I always give them all the tips I can. Mm-hmm. This is what they ask. This is what you should prepare for, you know, because they're going to pick the best person, me or you. It doesn't matter to me. Um, it's a journey together. So if you get it today, I'll get it tomorrow, you know, or I'm just supposed to be somewhere else, you know. And so why don't we as a society, as people in our people in our lives, even our, our enemy, I want to see you win. If my enemy is winning, then life's going to be better for everybody around that person. And unfortunately, I have to also be around you, even though you're my enemy. We're here, you know. So but if you're winning and you're doing well, then great. Maybe you'll be nicer to me, you know. And so I don't I don't see why we're in such a fight all the time as people and and law enforcement. It's our job to step up and be that conversation and quit the fight. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think the more, <clears throat> if people can get in the mindset, the more people you help lift up is going to launch you. Because when you put people in better positions because you're really investing in their best interest, it always works out. Never did I think I would be where I am today as I started as a young officer and uh, over a very large budget that uh, Helena handles our budget at home. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we got brilliant people who work in these areas. But, you know, listening to Helena navigate, she's really helped me through the years. I mean, I had, I had a, you know, high performing team. And then it got real troubled because I worked with that team. Then I became the supervisor of that team mm-hmm. and I had different personalities. I was trying to make, you know, happy. And I remember one day I go, I have this problem. This one person's doing this on high profile cases. They're the first one through the door doing all the work on low profile cases. I can't get them to show up sometimes. It's just, and so Helena tells me, she goes, do you ever think about taking his insecurities? He has to be the person. 
the one that shows up through the door. So on a low budget one, spin that insecurity, but use it to build him up. And so what I did is I went back to work on a, I want to say a low, low priority case, but it wasn't a high profile where media was all over it. I said, listen, when media calls, you're going to be the person that's going to be the spokesperson for this team. And woo, game changer. Amazing. And I came back. I was like, it worked. It worked. She goes, yeah, I know. And I go, do you do that to me? She goes, no. <laughs> She's like, yeah. oh, oh, that's, I mean, I think that's the, the, the very fabric. What I, what I love, you know, and I, and I, I brag about Helene all the time. Cause I've watched her navigate this world was, and even in conferences, sometimes you'll hear some women leaders get up there and it's like, look at me, I did this, but they don't have the fine tuned micro adjustments. And I tell Helene, I go, you got to be teaching this because you, you pull up to go, okay, here's a screwdriver. Here's the wrench. Okay. Here's the hammer, you know, but yeah. it's just throughout my career. I've watched it and being able to utilize, I'll let you talk about the alphas at the table when mm -hmm. you don't have a voice at the table and how do you utilize it? Because I always say it comes down to two things. You're working towards two things in life. We're all working towards a goal or someone's working for control. And so how do you navigate that to be goal-driven? And that's where you build high-performing teams. I mean, if you want, I'm sorry. <laughs> about all day long. No, I, you know, it's funny is because there's been several times where I'm at the table and I'm like, well, shit, I'm at the table. I never thought I'd be at the table. And the only one at the table. And the only one at the table. But then I sit back and I take pause. I'm like, okay, how do I leverage into my now position to be able to obtain the goal? And... It's not about me. It's about obtaining the goal. So as being emotionally intelligent and watching the room, within a couple of seconds, you can figure out who's the alpha. Hmm. Who are they listening to? Who is the mouthpiece? That is going to be my new ally. And so that is the person I see. And then you present it and message it in a way where they're like, oh, that's a good idea. And I'm like, I don't care if it's your idea. Take it forward. And then lo and behold, the next time we're at the table, he's messaging it to the rest of the people. And there's there's nothing wrong with that um, from being a, a female. You don't have to be the tip of the spear all the time. Right. You can be driving the tip of the spear and allow other people to do it. And I think that's very important for females to realize that it's not us versus them. It's us together, but it's leveraging relationships and collaborations to make it happen. And sometimes if you go in and I'm always the tip of the spear, you're going to put people off. And then they're not going to want to collaborate. They're not going to want to be your partner. And they're not going to walk in the room with you. Mm -hmm. And so you have to really be able to be humble in your leadership to be able to do that and strategize. There is a lot of strategy I to it. it. Yeah. And it is intentional to, to navigate it and be successful. But along the way, I take joy in the fact that I've mentored men and women, and they've promoted, they're very successful. And it took me a long time to sit back and say, I was part of that, and be prideful of that, where it's like, oh, no, I was just doing my job. And as women, we tend to minimize our contributions and not be prideful of them. And just take this for thought. If there is a job posting, a woman will look at it and say, oh, there's 15 things that they want, knowledge, skills, and abilities. I only have 10 of those. I'm not going to put in for that job. Where mm -hmm. a man was, it looks like, oh, I got one, two, I'm good to go. Yeah. Right? And we, we do that to ourselves versus empower yourself for being a female. There are things that we bring to the table mm -hmm. that men don't have. 
embrace it and and then you know be part of it i love that yeah. i love that yeah if i if i may i think just besides the rank that she achieved where i would always as the supporting cast you know because i would hear the stories when she would walk into a new area office and you had the old salty officer <laughs> going oh great we got a female here she can her go bag basically for patrol is bigger than she is and uh -huh. you know um, she would jokingly say, I'm small, I make everything look big. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all, it's about back. perspective. Yeah. <laughs> she would make them uncomfortable, but every area assignment she's worked, she got that little bit of resistance going in. But every time there was a barbecue of a celebration going by, that same salty person would come whisper to me, that's the best supervisor I've ever worked for. I said, I know. It's the best one I ever worked for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it just goes to show, they're not going to be a public accolation. Yeah, the, the awards as far as the recognition and the rank is one thing, but it's the investment, the dash, everything that we've been, we covered. You got, a, you got a text from someone just the other day, and she's not even on the job anymore, yeah. that said, you saved my career. And it's from a male who's mm -hmm. now doing good things. But it's just, those are the times, and Helene touched on too, is in law enforcement, we tend to focus on negative negative. Allow that to positive to sink in and go. I was a part of something. There's good. a lot of positive too. Yeah, because if know? you don't, yeah. if you don't, then you're never going to be able to start striving to do more. You, you shut it off, and so I, I've I've always been proud of. I don't know how much time we got, but the funny story of the rooster. I, I keep telling her about doing that because she's talking about. Uh -oh. <laughs> I don't know. How, how that, <laughs> One more story. Yeah, do we have time? Let's hear it. All right. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll give a fast-paced version of it. <laughs> it's about different equipment. I don't have the right equipment. Yeah. <laughs> About a male-dominated profession. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so I was at the academy. I was the only female sergeant at the academy. And I was running the impaired driving unit. And every time I'd go into the meeting, again, I'm the only female in the room. And I would have a question. I would have a solution. And it would always fall on deaf ears. And I'd come back and I'd be so frustrated. I'm like, I just want to do good things. I just want to do good things. And the guys who work for me, they're like, hey, boss, you just don't have the right equipment. It's a freaking sword fight in there. You don't have a sword. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't have a sword. So when I, I left at my going away, they gave me a ceramic statue of a cock. And they're rooster. like, a, a rooster. Clarification. <laughs> a rooster. talking about people who own a farm. So yes. she's using the, I, the rooster. She's using the actual. Okay. Okay. So they're like, now you have a sword. And I'm like, okay. So it was, you know, it was displayed prominently in our house. So I go to North Sac, a CHP, an unprecedented time where we had five female sergeants of 14. Unprecedented. And everybody, all the sergeants had little characters that emulated their second person like who who they were like one had a lizard one had this or whatever so i told my story and a real good friend of mine kelly she went and bought little roosters so well we have our rooster and so our rooster was on our desk and so that rooster has traveled with me throughout my career every time i went for an interview i went from an assessment center it was always in my pocket this is great <laughs> And so when I interviewed for internal affairs, um, unprecedented again, a chief wanted to pick me because I was from the field, and another wanted to pick someone else, male, female. So they had us do a presentation, they had us do an interview, things that they never had done before. Well, I go to my friend Kelly, I'm like, I forgot, I forgot my, ro my rooster. <laughs> I'm like, do you have yours? Can I borrow yours? And so she had hers, and I put it in my pocket. I was like, okay. And so I would pat it. I'm like, I have the equipment. I can do this. This and is great. <laughs> Did it work? 
Oh, it worked. I got the job. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Well, right. Yeah, the, the best part is when it all came about and it navigated your career, but at the retirement party when we had some yeah. very high ups from the Highway Patrol and the story came out. Oh, fantastic. And that following Monday, the, I won't give his rank away, but he's high up, sends her a photo because, well, I'm sorry, I hijacked this part. Of it. My apologies. No Tell what you do. Well, what I what I get excited about is there's other women that will reach out to Helena and she helps them out and the story comes out. So she will randomly send this a rooster figurine because when we're ever out, we see them, we buy them. Yeah. And so okay. she, will, she will send a note with a rooster and talks mm. about it with the story and everything. And so it came out at the retirement party because people come back, hey, I'm successful. I got promoted. I ranked high. You know, it's it's awesome. And so at the retirement party, I said, the story's got to come out. And her friend <laughs> Kelly, who's retired, goes, I'm retired. I can talk about it. The other women are like, ah, we're still working. We no, can't I say that <laughs> Now you know where I'm yeah. Yeah. Um, So we tell the story. And I say, as a law enforcement leader, it's our job to give everybody a voice. Yeah. And if this, I go, if this story pings your insecurity, think about it. Mm-hmm. The next time you're in an office, the next time you have a conversation, are you giving everybody a voice? And I'm looking right at the table. I go, it's upon you to give everybody a voice. So then that Monday, this high-ranking person sends her a photo, and he's holding a rooster. <laughs> and, and what I loved about the insecurity is I tell people, I go, you're going to go into women of, of probably rank and start looking. And if it's not there, you want to know, is it in their pocket? <laughs> and so he found one in an office. He's got a raised eyebrow with the selfie with it. <laughs> and That's I said, we're stuff. parked in their garage now. That's good stuff. <laughs> you guys, um, I, I'm just thank you yeah. for being here. Uh, well, thank um, you. You know, I know there are next steps for you both, retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. your retirement's around the corner. It is. And I know there's some family time and some travel time. And um, we haven't touched on it today, but when retirement comes, I want you to come back. Because um, we're going to start talking about some, some next steps for Mr. Jim Barnes and, and what he's got going on <laughs> around DBFA. the corner. DBFA. DBFA. You know, don't be effing average. Don't be effing average. Okay. <laughs> what it stands for, don't that's, be effing average. It's so all that's, about mindset. Like that. That's going to become something bigger. Um, I can't wait to hear that in mm-hmm. retirement for you um, and let you share that with the world right. where you're taking that. And, um, you know, Brandon and I say to each other, we're just getting started too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dr. Phil, you know, we're coming. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Angela's not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody starts, has to start somewhere. And if you if you're watching this and you're inspired and law enforcement is for you, um, I happen to now work for um, a non-affiliate academy, which means that you put yourself through. And if you think that you have what it takes to get into law enforcement and you want this type of career, please contact me. I'll send you the information. Um, It's an incredible field. It's it's the academy I went through in 2010. So it does open the door for you to get into many departments in California. Um, I'm biased, obviously, with our department. I think um, I think we're the best. Mm-hmm. I would second <laughs> that. And I would like to recruit you. <laughs> I would second that. You know? They got better medical. It's a business decision why we got married. Yeah, no. so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So join our department and marry a CHP officer. Um, you know, so hit me up if you if you're interested. Let's let's get you looking at at the process. And um, you know, you can't go wrong with looking into it. You know, worst you can hear is no, and when we're still here. And I heard no a dozen times at least when I was applying. And they were all for a reason because I landed where I was supposed to. So, uh, you guys, Helena, Jim, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Any any last questions come in from the, the viewers or anybody that 
No, none of them have come in, but honestly, I, I really appreciate uh, both of your perspectives and your experience and sharing everything because it, not only is this great for people who are wanting to get into law enforcement, but this all of your um, advice is transferable to anybody in any field in life, like Lacey was saying, at home, um, and just invaluable. So thank you very much for all your time and sharing us your story, sharing your stories. Our yes. pleasure, and thank, thank you for you. sharing your stories. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate that. Brandon. It, it impacts everywhere. Yeah. Kyle, thank you, sir. <laughs> oh. He's pushing buttons. He's You're very welcome. Buttons. Hi. He's not pushing my buttons. So that's no, good. No. That's, that's Try good. not that's to. Uh, thanks for joining us, you guys. Two weeks from now, connect uh, with me and, and Brandon and Kyle. It's not just connect with me. It's connect with everyone. Yeah. All of our guests that always come on the show, our viewers that watch, we're connecting with you too. Can't wait to see you guys in two weeks. If you have any show ideas, if you have any questions, hit me up on social media or email. You guys know how to find me. Send me a friend request. Send me a, um, a follow on Instagram, and, and we can connect there too offline. If you have something to say and you don't want to say it on the air, Hit me up and we'll have a private conversation. So I can't wait to see you guys all soon. Two weeks from now, we'll see you on the next episode. Have a good weekend.